What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week. This is the Live the Life Aggressively podcast. Yours truly, Sincere Hogan, my partner, Mike Marler in the house. What's up, brother? I'm doing great, man. We've got a, an awesome guest on the show today. It's a guy I look up to, a mentor, and I spent a couple of months training with him a few years ago and, and learned a ton. And that's strongman legend and high-level strength coach, Mark Phillippe, who's yeah. actually based out here in Las Vegas. How you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great. Doing great. Just got done training some of my, a few of my pro guys, so got a few minutes to spend with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. What, which pro athletes were you working with this morning, or what kind of athletes, rather? You know, we're doing some baseball right now. Um, NBA has obviously started, so I finished up with some of them guys. I have uh, some baseball guys coming back to me right now. Jason Giambi was just in training. I just uh, signed up another uh, gentleman, Nick Hundley, who's a catcher with the Padres. And then I'm working with the kid, Joey Gallo, who's a first-round draft pick, still in the minors with the Rangers, but he's kind of – He's on the fast track. He's a big, tall kid, led the minors in home runs, um, so he's got a bright future. Oh, um, so had them three guys in, and, and uh, Zach Williams, a, a NFL guy that uh, is rehabbing an ACL, I'm taking care of. He's probably going to be here the rest of the season with me. So, um, yeah, got a few guys in in the morning right now that uh, that uh, come in consistently, and then the baseball guys, I got a few more coming, so they're just you know finishing that up, and some take a few weeks off, and then they start coming back here in November, December. So, oh, very cool. What what is what is the assessment process for for different athletes? Or what I mean by that is, are the training programs similar for a baseball player versus let's say a basketball or football player, or is it based on the individual, what their strengths and weaknesses are, and what they need to work on? You know, some of, there's similarities and there's differences. We assess the athlete, we FMS assess some functional movement screen, and then we do some performance-based testing just to get an idea if they got any glaring issues we may need to correct or work on. Usually, you know, there's injuries that happen or there's overuse type. You know, a baseball player swings a certain way and develops a compensation that you want to try and correct. So we try and find out if there's anything glaring. A lot of times with young athletes, there's issues in the hips with flexibility and whatnot. Um, so we want to take them through that and see if there's anything that we may have to work on a little bit extra. And then we get some baseline numbers of where their, their power is. The lifting portion, I usually um, look at their first couple of workouts and kind of, you know, uh, take them through that, and I can in pretty close estimate where their strength levels are at. And from that, you know, we sit out with them, find out what their goals, what they're trying to do. Like the, the, the catcher from the Padres, we're trying to put a little weight on him, get, a little, get him a little bit stronger. Um, the younger kid, you know, he's, he, you know, we're continuing to work on his strength. He's a pretty strong big kid now. Um, right. So injury prevention, things like that. So um, that's what the assessment is for, you know, to get a picture of what you're dealing with and their goals and what direction you're going to want to take him. Now the workouts themselves, it's more like a collegiate program in that we're working on the components of athleticism, speed, strength, power, agility, flexibility, things like that. Now the workout is tailored, you know, to the sport um, to a certain degree. We train a lot of swimmers, um, a lot of, we had, you know, five Olympic trial swimmers that we were training. Now obviously they're not interested in certain movements that a team sport athletes do, so their program's drastically different. But a lot of team sports, they're interested in speed, agility, quickness, reaction, things like that. So there's similarities in the program. And then when you get down to specific movements and or conditioning components to the program, um, there's, there's, there's variables and differences there. But a swimmer, for example, would they still do the big body movements that you have everyone else do, such as I know your program has fundamentals, such as a lot of compound exercises, such as squats, deadlift, overhead press, bench press. Would those be exercises that are kind of universal across the board with athletes you work on, or is it – would be maybe less compound drills for certain people, more for others? Yeah, and it, it depends upon the individual and the sport. We basically construct our workouts with a template of, I have, as you know, multiple exercises that fit movement patterns. Right. I'm not hung up on making sure an athlete has to squat or front squat or clean. We can right. always find something else that's going to give us the same effect that they feel more comfortable with. 
there's certain things I like to see just because of my meathead background. I want to see guys you know, <laughs> right. lift some weights and whatnot. But if they're not comfortable doing certain things, I'm not hung up on making them do it. As far as swimming goes, you know, I took my philosophy uh, for swimming a long time ago when I was at UNLV as a strength and conditioning director up there from Dan Worth, who was a strength coach at Arizona, a good friend of mine, and asked him what he did for his swimmers because they had a successful swimming program back then. And he said, to be honest with you, we train them almost like football players. I get them big and strong in the weight room, and the swim coach teaches them how to swim in the pool. And that was kind of music to my ears, and that's what I basically have trained our swimmers to do. So we work on a lot of core strength, a lot of strength and power movements. Um, so they're fast off the blocks. They got stroke efficiency because they got a strong core, and they they, they beat the other swimmers off the wall um, and things like that. So that's kind of the program and how we've adapted the swim program, and it's been successful. And we've been doing it with the Sandpiper Swim Club for uh, maybe maybe five, six years now. It took us a little while to sell them on it. Once we changed a few right. of their swimmers, now their whole national team comes down and trains with us, not only oh, with uh, training but nutrition also. Oh, very cool. Uh, speaking of nutrition, Mark, like how do you deal with the athletes that you train as far as keeping them accountable with their nutrition, and how do you put that together for them as well? You know what? My wife, Tracy, handles our whole nutritional side of our program, which we sell to the athletes is, you know, 50% of training. As you guys know, you know how important it is. It's basically sure. if I'm going to coach you through a workout and I'm there for an hour and a half, two hours coaching you, I'm standing above you and making sure you're doing everything you're supposed to do. The other 22 hours, you're not around me when you're trying to recover and eat properly. Nobody's watching you. So the discipline comes at a much greater degree. So what we do is they come in, they fill out uh, some questionnaires, both uh, nutritional and medical. We have them fill out a food log. Then we put them on a Biomarkers 2000 BIA machine, and we get uh, baseline levels on their basal metabolic rate, lean mass, total body fat throughout the body. Um, hydration levels where the water is inside the cell or outside the cell and a phase angle of cells. And Tracy will sit down with them after she gets that information, uh, go through a presentation that's quite lengthy. It's about 90 minutes long because she goes through a lot of information based on male and female inflammation in the body, um, things like that. And she'll put interactively a program together based on nine different food groups um, that, that she has gone uh, has gotten and, and developed, and, um, and and basically after that they do that. She teaches them how to eat like an athlete, what to eat, when to eat, how much nutrient training co- components. We keep track of them, keep track of them on the the BIA every couple of weeks to make sure that the numbers are improving. So if we have to make adjustments, uh, we can fine tune them as we go along. Now she will also try and get them to do if they're capable. Um, different food sensitivity, blood tests, and things like that to see mm-hmm. if there's issues with things they're eating and raising their IgG levels and whatnot. So um, she highly re- recommends that. She will maybe do a spectra cell micronutrient test to find out if there's any deficiencies at a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And she also tries to look uh, at the gut to make sure there's no gut issues because you could be eating right, taking the greatest supplements. And if you don't absorb them, um, they're not doing you any good. So we've also got our own... IV cocktails that we mix up so we can get uh, vitamins and minerals, amino acids directly into the bloodstream. She's also an RN, so she does those here for a lot of actually some of our high school and our high end athletes too that want to help with the recovery and you know get that last five ten percent out of the nutrition program. Wow! So that, <laughs> yeah, that brings me to my next level. question, Mark. It brings to the next question for the the clients that you have that are not high level athletes. Mm-hmm. Do they take advantage of this nutrition programming as well? Many of them do. Many of them will get, you know, kids um, seventh, eighth grade where their parents are like, you know, I don't know what to do. We, you know, everybody thinks they eat well, but most people, as you know, really don't know how <laughs> yeah. to eat or right. don't know much about supplements. And then when you sit them down and say, hey, you know, you know, most most weed affects most people negatively. A lot of people with dairy. You know, um, is Mike's a vegan, so he knows there's a lot of things that affect him. So you sit him down and show him different things can affect you negatively, and you're fighting yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically 
a lot of people, you know, they're eating, they're eating convenience, you know, it's eating fast food or things that are easy. And you basically got to teach um, how to plan ahead. You know, if you can plan ahead, a lot of times with my son who played college football, what we eat the night before is his lunch the next day. Same with my daughter who plays traveling soccer. So um, we do a lot of programs with, with the kids that are in high school. So everybody that comes to us, may not be a high-level athlete, but may aspire to be one. Right. And when you sell them on a nutritional component and they're going to get that much better, most people will buy into that. You know, the, the swim club I talked about, this year was the first year the coach required every national-level swimmer to go through our nutrition program because he didn't want to put the time and effort in the pool, in the, in, in the weight room, uh, in strength and conditioning, and then not have them take care of the other component, which is as – important or maybe even more important um, than the other ones. So yeah, how difficult is it to help, especially for the high school athletes, to have them remain accountable to their diets? Because let's face it, these kids, when you look at the food they serve in the lunch rooms and there's no telling what the parents are packing, or it's really easy for the kids, especially they're driving to school, to stop at a drive-thru on the way when they leave school or on the way to school. Do you find it it's difficult to have them to remain more accountable to the nutrition program that your wife and yourself put together for those high school athletes? No, I would agree. It's, that's the hardest part is compliance. And, yeah. you know, like anything else, it's not a kid problem. It's a parent problem. You know, right. the kid's not doing it. You, know, you can't blame a 14-year-old kid because he's eating garbage and who buys it for him. You know, so right. the right. consult is as much for the parents as it is for the young athlete. So if the parents climb on board and they sell, you know, you sell it to them and, um, then the the young athletes will climb on board. So you got That's why the, you know parents always got to be in the consult with the mm-hmm. young athlete. Other, otherwise, it won't work. But you know, if I tell an athlete, if I go out there and make you run ten wind sprints, you won't ask me why. You'll just do because you know it's good for you. You know, if I teach you how to eat like an athlete, you gotta you gotta look at it the same way. Your nutrition is designed to make you a better athlete. It's as simple as that. It's, a, it's an important component of your training program that you have to look at the same way. If you don't, then you'll never do it right. And when you're at school, you can't look to the right or the left of what your friends are doing because they're not on the same program you're on. Right. You're on a program of trying to excel as an athlete, and you just got to do what you got to do and not worry about what they're doing. You know, you right. just got to gotta be on your plan. Yeah, one thing is I, I went through, I did a consult with Tracy when I was training with Mark a couple of years ago, and she's a very sharp lady. You know, she, I, I was very impressed with how detailed the stuff was. I mean, all the testing we went through, the spectra cell test, the vitamin mineral deficiencies, all of that stuff. So, I mean, people, people don't realize the value they're getting. You know, sometimes they'll go to Mark's gym and they'll look at the price and be like, oh, that seems kind of expensive. To me, I thought the price was way more than reasonable and I didn't even realize how much you were going to get until I went through the process. I was like, wow, you're getting all of this as part of this process. And then you have someone like, like Mark was just saying, that'll sit down with you for 90 minutes and take you through all of this stuff. So it's, it's not like a, like a cookie cutter program where someone just scribbles a couple of things on a piece of paper and says, here you go. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very personalized. You know, one thing, Mark, is I was, as I'm listening to you talk about the importance of the parents with the kids is I've been at your gym before where, where parents will come in and try to tell you how to train their kids. And I'm always just just speechless when I see that. And you, you tend to handle these people extremely well, but I'm curious how often does that happen? And does that really irritate you inside? And then you're just a professional, so you handle it very well. But someone with your background, both as a strength athlete and as a high-level strength coach, I, I have to imagine that that's kind of irritating when some guy with the beer belly walks in, you know, who hasn't worked out probably ever, who's like, hey, I think we need to have my kid do this more often. You know, yeah, you kind of just got to consider the source, and, you know, (laughs) everybody's an expert, you know what I'm saying? So (laughs) I I tried to take my ego out of it a long time ago. I'm just thinking and making kids and athletes better. Right, right. But at the same time, you know what it is, Mike, it's, we, to be honest with you, and I don't like to tune, we have better training than anybody around this area, and I know we do. No, 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 I doubt. Probably, no doubt. I need to take a, a page out of your book on marketing. We've discussed that before. It's not my strong point. Right. But it's an educational process for both coaches and parents. 
if I can get them in the door, I can sell it to them because everybody thinks they know about training. Everybody thinks they know about nutrition, but they really don't. And you have to educate them what's good training and what's not so good training. It's not all about wanting to puke and throw up. I said, I can, I can right. myself do that. You know, we, I just <laughs> you know, we did our metabolic day, you know, the four days of strength and the metabolic day for my baseball guys. And they're, you know, they're, they're not used to it yet. It's, it's, it's not, the, the point is, and I don't want them throwing up, dragging them out of here. That's not what makes a good workout, but sometimes parents think that's what's a good workout. Or right. I tell them, hey, right. you know, you got to learn how to run. you got to learn how to move, how to change directions. If you don't, you just want to go throw some cones out in the park and run, or anybody can teach their kid to do that. It's, it's right. the quality of right. movement and quality of training, and you have to educate parents what's good and what's not so good. We'll have parents that'll go to competitors of mine and come to see us and they go, wow, well, they never did that over there. And I said, well, that's why I won't have 30 kids in one class. We'll have it, you know, as we know, we do small group stuff and you can't coach that many kids at a time. I couldn't do it when I was at UNLV and I wouldn't do it. So right. it's quality over quantity. It's an educational process for the parents. And if we can do that, we're usually pretty, pretty good about keeping them around. And, and, and then they understand that, you know, they're, they usually to try not they try not to tell me how to train their, their... Yeah, I doubt it happens to you too often. I just remember once or twice no, when I, I, I was hanging yeah. out in your office and it would happen. I was like, I can't believe what I'm seeing right here. <laughs> yeah. It happens yeah. more often than you think sometimes. I had a young yeah. guy, I won't mention any names, but I had, <laughs> I, had, I, had, I had him training next to Jermaine O'Neal, who's, uh, you know, what is he, 18 years in the NBA, and... The kid, he couldn't jump and he couldn't move or whatever, and he couldn't understand why his dad signed him up. He didn't think he needed the training, and I'm like, I told his dad, well, you know, I can't really help him. You know what I'm saying? He he doesn't buy into it. If he he's training next to a guy that's in the NBA, he wants to be a starting basketball player in high school, and he can't see the the benefit of this, then you know maybe you better save your money. I think that's the thing that a lot of people take for granted because I, I talk to Sincere about my experience training at your place all the time, and I would say, Mark, would pair me up with professional MMA athletes. Uh, sometimes I'd be working out with an NFL player. Other times I'm working out with a professional hockey player. And, and, and to me, that was extremely motivating. I was like, wow, this is cool. I mean, who, when do you get those kind of interactions? Right. And I, I think people that go to work at Mark's gym who have never worked out anywhere else, like with any other trainer, they, they have no idea – of the gold mine they're in. Yeah, they have no clue. Like I always think, man, if I were 15, and that's when I first started getting into working out, and I, I was just self-taught, which basically means that you made a lot of mistakes. But I mean, if I were 15 and I walked into Mark's gym, and that was my starting point for strength training and conditioning, I, I don't even want to think about how far ahead I would be now in the first right. where I'm at. And I think I think a lot of kids don't have a point of reference, so they take that for granted. They they don't they, they kind of have a spoiled mentality as they're going in. They don't realize that they're getting instruction, you know, from my opinion, the best strength coach out there at by not only the best facility in Vegas, but I think the best facility period. And but if you don't have a point of reference, you don't really know that, and you don't value the opportunity. And, and you have, you have a you have a, you have a clever thing you do, Mark, though, with people that are let's say underprivileged, they can't afford your rates. I remember you were telling me about a few students who would you would give them jobs in exchange for training where they would mop the floors, clean the toilets, clean the kitchen, and then you would put them through a training program. And you would said that sometimes you would make this offer to kids and they'd be like, nah, I don't want to do that. And I thought that was a very clever way to assess who's legit and who right. isn't. And it has, how, how effective has that been, you know, underprivileged kids who have, who have taken that deal from you? And do you have any stories of people who went through that offer and, and then went on to have some real success with that? You know, actually, i got a girl right now that's playing soccer up at UNLV that uh, her club was paying for her to come to us, and then she switched clubs, and, you know, the other club wasn't affiliated with us. She still wanted to come. So we worked it out. Yeah, you want to come in and train? I'll just trade you cleaning for training. And, you know, if somebody really wants to train, I'll find a way to keep them here. You know, I had a foundation that we started – uh, before the economy tanked a little bit, I've kind of put on the back burner. That was the whole idea of right. trying to raise money for kids that couldn't afford training that, you know, were potentially could be good athletes that we would train. But instead of that, yeah, we've traded it out. I've had several kids that will do that. Most do, but but you're right. If um, if they're serious, they'll, they'll want to do it. If they're not serious, then 
you know, everybody wants to be good, but not everybody wants to do what it takes to be good. So right, you, right. You find you find out where where they're at when uh, when they. Well, we we had uh, the author Daniel Cole, who I actually heard about from you, the Talent Code. We actually had him on the show a couple episodes ago, and he was talking about how when people are just given an opportunity, they don't really value it. But when they feel like they've earned it or they did something to win it, either maybe they won it in a lottery or they had to do something to get it, then all of a sudden they take it very seriously. And this is not just the kids, but basically everybody, adults as well. So I think that I, I think there has to be some kind of quid pro quo, rather than okay, you can't afford it, no problem, we'll just train you anyway. I, th- I think then what happens is they don't really value the opportunity, but if, if they have to do something in exchange for it, then all of a sudden they're like, okay, this is a valuable opportunity, and it, it's worth me going through whatever I need to go through. I think that kind of builds character too, right? Like they yeah. have to. I mean, doing those kind of humble jobs as a young person, honestly, I, I think that's actually pretty good for building your character because it's right. kind of a no, low I, starting point. No, I, mean. I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> I had a conversation with a baseball agent that was in yesterday, and he's got a U11 team also. His son, his son plays, and he's got a lot of corporate sponsorship for it, you know, where he's going to give kids this, give kids that. And I said, you know, right. I had experience. You know, my son's played on Dana White's football team where he provided all the equipment and whatnot, and I told the coach, I said, parents should pay something because if they don't pay anything, even if, you know, I'm paying a little bit, my kid gets to practice. It's not so easy to say, ah, he doesn't feel good, we'll skip it, we'll come tomorrow or whatever. Right. There's, there's got to be a buy-in on both ends, you know. Yeah. With the higher with the higher end athletes, the pro guys, sometimes if you don't charge them enough, they don't think you know what you're doing too. You right, know, they, right. You know? <laughs> There's always a buy-in that you gotta you gotta give something up. You gotta suffer a little bit, and, and, and the, that book, The Talent Code, is a, is a heck of a book. I really like. Yeah, it. yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. It's a great book. One thing I'm curious about is how how do you assess the pricing structure? So, for example, like you just said, if you're a professional athlete, if you don't charge enough, they don't take it seriously. But then at the same time, that price structure may be outside the realm of let's say an average person can afford. Is it? Did you vary the pricing for on the individual, or did you just have one set pricing structure for for everyone who comes in? Well, we have different ways that we we have uh, memberships, like a gym membership. You get so many okay. training sessions per per month, and it's like a running clock, so you got to use them. And then we charge a little more for individual sessions where you buy, let's say, ten or fifteen. And I, you know, you kind of price the structure what's out there and what people will pay for skilled training at their specific sport or whatever. So you kind of know, um, you know where to price it with that. The pro guys, um, you know, I, I, I gradually move it up each year to see what I get them to pay. Um, yeah. The minor league guys, the guys that aren't making as much. You know, like I'm pretty easy. You know, if a guy wants to train and, you know, it's I can't give it away, but at the same time, um you know, if we can get him a door and I can help him out, hopefully he tells somebody else and I get another client from it and, and whatnot. So I, I kind of adjust it accordingly. I know what other guys charge. I try with the pro guys, I try not to say, hey, you know, this guy makes $100 million a year. I'm going to charge you a lot more versus another guy. Right, 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 right. You know, it's none of my business really. But with yeah. the, the parents and whatnot, I kind of I know what the, you know, pricing structure, skill training and whatnot is out there and we kind of structure it you know, in those regards um, to, uh, to, you know, the level of of uh, where each session, you know, where the cost is and whatnot. So I don't want to be the cheapest. I don't want to gouge people at the same time. I think, like right, I said, right. I think we're, we do a better job and give you more for your money. Um, but then again, it is still, like I said, an educational process to tell the parents that, you know, if, if you think of where you spend your money, you know, I go get a cup of coffee at Starbucks every day, but it costs me two eleven. You know, some people are getting frappa mocha, whatever, for $7 <laughs> pop, and you multiply that times five times four, and you can tell what you're spending on, you know, coffee right. drinks every month. You want to give something up to help your kid. You can find ways to, to make it affordable if, if it's really important to you, you know, if you really want no to do it. If not... You know, you'll 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 spend it on something else. I know that we have some fitness professionals who have their own gyms. They're listening to this show as well, and touching on how trying to figure out how not to cheapen yourself. 
for your expertise and at the same time not trying to just gouge and, and really just go out there and just try to bleed someone dry. A lot of fitness professionals that own gyms or have their own personal training services or have their own clients, they, they, they have so much trouble trying to figure these things out, like where to start with their price instruction, where to go from that. And another one of the issues they had is something that you brought up earlier in the show. When you talk about the small groups as opposed to the big classes and also firing clients, those are also like two big issues, and it's something that I've discussed on here with Mike before. I've had to do before. You, you've got the know-it-all or the one that's just already had their minds made up that they can't do a certain thing, and you've, you just had to go out and just let them go because actually it's, A, it's good for you and it's good for them, A, for the fact that it's not going to drain you emotionally when this person is coming in with a negative attitude and already have that I can't attitude, and they're not going to let it go. At the same time, it's also good for them because it's a safety issue that goes along with that because if they're not being compliant, if they're not seeing the big picture, they could just go through the motions and end up hurting themselves with a lift or anything like that. And you'll see a lot of this also with a lot of trainers trying to pack in these big classes, trying to go in with what I call the daily deal Groupon type classes, try to get 50, 60 people in there. There's just no way you can get any kind of quality coaching to that many people at one time. And that's one of the reasons why I've kind of just dialed it down to the small group training model. And what I was going to ask you, like, how do you – put together the programming for each individual and keep up with each and every one of them as far as their programming. Is it even in those, those in the small group training, do they have their own individual training programs as well that pertains to whatever their goals are? Or do you just kind of just group those guys together that if they're a little bit more similar into what they're trying to do as far as their goals? You know, our groups for our, our, uh, our uh, young athletes go off more so by age, you know, mm-hmm. so we got U12 and then, you know, uh, freshman, sophomore, you know, seventh, eighth grade, and then a higher end um, class. Each kid has a sheet that his strength and con- his strength training is recorded on. So we track all that stuff. The groups will warm up, do their dynamic warm up and their torso work all together. We could have athletes and adults, active adults, starting together, and then I'll I'll have coaches. You know, the adults will go do their thing after the torso works done if the kids are are training they're on the track or on the turf during their movement before they do the lifting so you know we'll cap it off on usually it's one to six one to five it could be one to one you know coach to athlete ratio Mm. and different my different coaches i have are more capable or less capable of handling uh, more athletes or less athletes depending upon their experience level you got to know what to look for. Your workouts got to be planned so you're not trying to do too many complicated things at the same time that you have to coach. Right. Um, you know, it's it's it, personal trainers have a hard time training more than one person at a time. It takes some time to learn how to do that, to how to how to right. coach groups versus individuals. So you kind of got to structure the workout. And we have a set template we use to take them through, and you know, it takes our guys, the guys that I bring on. Um, time to learn how to train more than, you know, one athlete. We don't overwhelm them to begin with, and then we gradually give them more and more, um, you know, people to train um, as they go along and get more experienced. You know, basically I tell clients or I tell we do some boot camps for personal trainers that want to learn what we do for an organization in town here, and I say, hey, we have to provide personal training, quality training um, in a small group environment. Right. good at training, and that's what I think we do. That way, you know, you can charge a third of the price if you got three people, and you can make you can open it up to make it a lot more affordable for more people without lowering your hourly, you exactly. know, rate or wage and whatnot. You just got to be making. You just have to make sure that the quality doesn't go down. We always want to be. We always want to sell quality over quantity. That's why I don't say have a class. You know, if I have 15 people starting at a time. I may have three coaches taking that class through or that right. group through, you know what I'm saying? So I don't want to lower the level of what we're doing. And, you know, I've been told by certain people, and, you know, I, I discuss marketing with Mike. I'm not a great marketer. We're trying to get better at that. But I don't, I'm not a big group on people because I think once you do that, you lower the, the vision of what you provide for people. Now oh, it's yeah. down at a lower level. I want to be – I want to be. I want people to think we got the best training, not average training or low cost or low budget training. We may run specials. We may do different things. But I think once you do that, then the quality of what you do 
is at that level. It's a hard time kind of like uh, getting back. You brand yeah, yourself, exactly. you know, as as a cheap beer instead of a micro. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I've had that issue with Groupon and Living Social in the past. And I'll put it this way. The relationship didn't work out with them and me because we saw things differently. I wouldn't conform and do what they were used to. They were used to having all these different boot camps and all this. And like, first of all, I don't have boot camps. I said, I focus more on small group training. If anything, what we can do with this deal is you can have people come in for a two-hour workshop where I can assess them, run them through the exercises, check out their movement, let them get the basics and the foundation of the exercises that we have in our classes. And along with that, then they can, try, they can come to a class, they can come to three classes. Okay, so what ended up happening with that, I'll say with Living Social, I did it with them. Out of, let's say, about 20 people went for it because, again, it wasn't as appealing because what you have on these daily deal type sites, you have people what I call, it's, it's tire kicker central. So you have all these people who are just, they're, they become deal whores. <laughs> they'll go yep. to, they'll sign up for one boot camp because they're going to get it all, all month for 10 bucks. Then they'll go, next month they'll go to another one and they just keep doing deals every month. So they'll never have any kind of loyalty to any gym whatsoever or see any value into any type of program. But a lot of times, a lot of these trainers don't provide any value in the first place because they could care less. They just want to get 60, 70 people in there on that first day and hope yeah, that – problem, problem on both sides, no doubt. Yeah, exactly. And hope that 65 of them don't come back, but they've got some <laughs> money. They're splitting it with them. So – and this last time I you know, tried to do something with Groupon, and no one signed up because I even – I really dialed down to what I wanted because I didn't want the people that I already have who are already loyal to our gym and our programming – I don't want them to be overwhelmed with a bunch of strangers. I always tell people when you do these deals, it's like you're sitting there and you have your own family, but you leave your door open and you tell anybody that walks by your house, they can come in and be a part of the family. So they're pretty much like, they're like fit, I call them fitness foster kids. They're in and out. You, you come in, you get a check for them, and then they leave. Don't get attached to them because they may not be around for long. And that's usually right. what you get with these deals. You get fitness foster kids, man. It's just, it's just something that just doesn't work if you're really focused on the quality over the quantity. Right. I would agree with you. Yep, it's good way to kill your business quickly too by doing this. Yep, I, I when people come in and they join up and we talk to them, I have a vested interest. When you come in here, there's a responsibility for you to want to get better too. Because if I don't get you better, I'm not obviously going to get another client from you or your parents. Right. So I have a vested interest in you coming here and following the program. And you know, we tell athletes that you need to come a minimum of six to eight times a month. You know, club sport, they're training so much, that's a lot of times all you can get them in certain mm -hmm. times of the year because they're so busy. But you do me no good to come in a couple times and then miss and then come in a couple times. Basically, you hurt me more than you help me because if somebody asked me, oh, yeah, I train at PSI, but I didn't get any better, now you just hurt me. So right. I explain to people there's a vested interest in me having them come in and do a good job, and I kind of put it back on them to make sure that they understand that when they join up that you, well, I'm not just taking your money. I want you to get better, so then it helps my business in the long run. Right. I think that's a big problem with stuff like Groupon and Living Social, though, is that it, it's attracting the wrong people to your message. Like, right. Because Mark's gym and your, what you do, Sincere, what I do, I mean, these are all high-level high business models. So like where we're talking about in the other show, I don't want just anyone <laughs> – I don't want just anyone buying my testosterone booster. I want the right person buying it because they're going to get the right result. And they're going to, like Mark said, they're going to go tell other people that they got great results rather than someone who's not going to take it properly, not follow my directions, not make sure their diet's dialed in, not get good results. Now they're going to go up there and tell people it didn't work when right. in reality they, they didn't make it work by using it properly. So I, I definitely understand all that. But yeah, it feels, know, it, it's really good when they walk away after that assessment workshop and they're like, you know what, I'm not ready for this. They, right. they know. They're like, right. okay, they know that I'm just shop They're hopping around and just trying to get whatever deal. But then no, you know the ones who are really down. serious, and they get in, they're like, oh, my God. It's like I've done other stuff before, but it's never been like this. And they end up staying with me. You yeah, know, you want to get years. the right people. I think that's a mistake a lot of trainers make is that they're not structuring their businesses in a way where you're going to get the right fit for your They want to get everybody. Yeah, everybody, everybody. exactly. And it, it, that's going to be more headaches for you in, in the long run for sure. But, you know, one thing, one thing you brought up, Mark, while you were talking is that you're very good at working with different personality types in a very effective manner. Like when I, when I worked at your gym, one second you're telling me something and you're telling it to me in a way that is going to work for me. And then you'll, there'll be a football player who's just kind of jerking around and you'll tell it to him in a way where you're, it, it's funny the way you're saying it, but if someone else said that, they'd probably come off like a jerk off. Right. And then you have, 
And then you have some overweight kid who can barely do a push-up, and you go over there and you're giving him some supportive words because if, if you, you talk to him to the same way that you just talked to that NFL player, that's going to break him down more. So I'm, I'm curious if how you develop this skill set or is it just from practice, just from all your years of being a coach? You know, I think it comes from being a coach. When I was at UNLV, you get a diverse population of different types of athletes you have to deal with. Right. And one thing I always like to do, I was heavily involved with football. You know, my interest is in all different athletics. And, you know, I used to watch athletes. But at the same time, I used to analyze different coaches and different coaching methods and tried to copy the ones I felt like were, were effective. You know, and, and so, I, you know, you walk around a football field, there's 10, 11 coaches. You can go see 10, 11 different styles of coaching and right. pick a lot of elements up that really help you out or go see the basketball coach coach and how he gets across to his athletes or a tennis player or a tennis coach who's a totally different type of athlete. And I think that's one thing that I've always liked just as much as the training element is the coaching element. I remember when I was a young coach, as a strength coach at UNLV, I worked for Dan Austin, the powerlifter. Dan could get through to some athletes that I could never touch, and it always kind of bothered me. I wanted to figure out ways where I could get through to the athletes that, for whatever reason, wouldn't listen. So it right. comes with practice. It comes with that. It comes with it's just something that, I, you know, kind of I like to do. And, you know, there's some guys that, you know, you, you just have a personality conflict with sometimes. But most of the time I think I can try and find what buttons to push on certain people. Right get them to do certain things. Everybody is motivated different ways, and you just kind of find out how to do it. Mark does it very seamlessly, and you know, sometimes at his gym, it's, it, it, it would feel like triage in MASH, you know, like the MASH episodes when, when they're deciding <laughs> which patients to operate on first. It's like that level of chaos. So Mark would be able, he would go tell me one thing, and then he would tell someone else one thing, and then someone else something, and then he would yell across to a lady across the way, hey, make sure you're doing this. And, and, and to me, I was like, wow, that's, that's really managing this chaotic place, and it's the economy of language as well, because a lot of us tend to be very verbose, right? We, we all went through this when we first started teaching workshops. You're, you're just going on and on and on. And then the, the more you teach workshops, the more tired you get of your own voice. So you start getting better at being more precise with your instruction. But Mark was very precise with his instruction when we were going through there. So that, that to me is a very interesting skill set. That yeah, more of a Twitter you. style. <laughs> with your yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Twitter method of coaching. <laughs> I think it's a new program, Mike, the Twitter method of coaching. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. and then one, one thing I'm really curious about is, you know, just as a big MMA fan, are, are you still working with any MMA athletes right now? And, you know, what are some of the components that, that you work with to deal with that kind of athlete in terms of program design and so forth? Because we know that conditioning is a huge aspect of being a good MMA athlete. So, I mean, how do you, how do you balance the strength and power with, the conditioning that they need to sustain a good effort in that realm. You know, I'm working well. Bonner had just retired. We had him pretty consistently and off and on. Right, right. I had Frank Muir. I had Gray Maynard. I'd had, you know, numerous different guys at at one point in time or another. They're kind of like they're all good guys, but they're all gypsy-esque in that they bounce around a lot too. Right, yeah. Um, I got a I got a guy uh, now, Blago Avanoff, he's a Bulgarian guy who actually was on the fast track and ran into an issue in Bulgaria where he got stabbed uh, about two years ago. Now he's come back. He won his first fight back. He hasn't lost yet. He's like Sambo world champion also. So we still have him. He's just finished up a fight. He's back in Europe. Uh, Gamble, the boxer, when he comes into town, he trains with us and does nutrition. Um, so off and on, it's just can Michael Hunter, a young Olympian who's who's uh, another a fighter I train. He just called, he fought once. He called me back. He's supposed to start up here soon. So we get all different, both boxers and fighters. When I was at UNLV, I had a, uh, I trained numerous boxers from Chris Bird, Montel Griffin. You know, a lot of young upcoming guys. Had once right. you get involved, they kind of find you, and then you know you. Uh, they come and get you. They're, it's a unique crowd. I think with the MMA guys, what I found is everybody's doing the metabolic stuff, and a lot of them guys, a lot of the, the lighter weight guys got decent strength, um, but a lot of the heavyweights, you know, aside from a few, aren't as strong as you think they are. So there right. is that balance to doing strength work and conditioning work, and if you do too much metabolic 
training like that, it zaps your strength. You won't get stronger. So you got to find a blend of conditioning with strength work. If all you're doing is the stuff where you're running around, you know, like we do, we do it, but there's a blend on how much you do um, because if you over you overdo the, the high-intensity metabolic training, you, you, won't, you won't be strong. You'll, it'll just right. take your strength away. Um, right. So you got to figure out what, you know, what times to do that. If you can get a fighter, and most of them won't do it, but to, to come and train when they don't have a fight schedule and do all their strength work, then, then all you're doing is having to get them in conditioning when the fight rolls around. Ideally, that's what right. you want. Right. And ideally, you know, I've talked to numerous fighters about this. Hey, lay out your lay out your your uh, your schedule on a calendar year and plan your training out like that. But most of them are kind of like, okay, I got a fight, then I'm off, then I got a fight. Instead of planning out a yearly calendar like I would do with a football team or whatnot. So, you know, we usually have fights on these days, and at this time of the year I'm going to train this way, at this time of the year I'm going to train a different way for conditioning or whatnot, and be more organized with your training. And most of them won't do that. I've also found that they love staying in their comfort zone. And my job is to push them out of their comfort zone because they all want to stay where, hey, I don't know what, if I expend too much energy, I may not have enough for the next round. Right. And you've got to drive them out of that area. And uh, there's a sports psychologist, Ken Ravizzi, who handles a lot of baseball players, has a saying, you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, if right. you want to be in the zone all the time, you aren't very good. So you got to make sure that you push them to where, you know, they don't feel good. And then they realize afterwards, hey, I'm going to be okay. I can, I can handle that. I did that with Gambo one time where he thought he was done with conditioning. I said, no, 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 we got one more. And he looked at me, <laughs> and he didn't speak much English, but the look he gave me wasn't very good. So, but afterwards, he was okay. He realized, all right, you know, I, I was going to be okay because you never know when you got to go all out for a whole round and then line up and, and, and stare that guy in the face the next round, too. So your training's got to be the same way. Yeah, right. but it goes back to what Daniel Coyle was saying a couple of weeks ago about going beyond the reach. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yep. Now, uh, with, with MMA fighters, do you still deal with, I'm, I'm sure boxers, too, do you still deal with the old dogma of, uh, I don't want to lift heavy weights because that's going to make me tight and muscle-bound? Do you still have that mentality coming in there? Only with, only with certain guys. You know, yeah, a certain guy blamed me for getting them too strong, but um, <laughs> usually that's a big problem. Usually, usually, that's not the problem or the case. All I know is, given two guys of relatively equal talent, the stronger guy is going to win. And right. I've seen some guys right. get ragged dolls by bigger, stronger guys. You don't have to always be stronger than the other guy. You just got to be able to be strong enough to impose your skill and technique level on him. If his right. if his strength is drastically greater than yours, that you can't use your your skill if it's superior, um, then then you're going to lose. Simple as that. Right. No question. And just just switching gears here, one thing that I think a lot of people are curious about, especially people that may be strength coaches at a university right now or some other establishment, and they're thinking about maybe opening up their own facility. So when did you decide? I know you and Tracy decided together, actually, I should say. Yeah. When, did you, when did you two decide for you to step away from UNLV as a strength coach and for you two to open up your own facility? You know, it's something I was thinking about doing for a while while I was at UNLV, but I didn't have much of a choice after a period of time because I'm hired and fired by the football coach. And, and, uh, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't see eye to eye too well, so... He, the football coach usually wins that battle. So, yeah. um, you know, when I left UNLV, I was teaching in the Kines department for a uh, couple of years. You know, I know why now professors don't leave them gigs because they're pretty easy. But um, right. <laughs> so then I set this place up, and, you know, I had a group of investors that helped me get open. Um, we opened up. It was going real well. Then the economy tanked, which is really scary. Then you figure out you got to be really efficient, just keep those right. people in the door. So, you know, right. you keep people talking about you. And now it's kind of, I wouldn't say the economy's come around. It's just kind of flatlined where you, everybody's getting used to where they're at now. Right, um, right. I, if I was, if I was going to recommend doing it differently than I did, I mean, I got almost 10,000 square feet. You know that, Mike? I got a track and a turf. Yep, yep. You know, sometimes you lay awake. The fall's usually slower, so I know it's coming every 
you're you lay awake at night going, oh geez, where did everybody go? You know, so that <laughs> that that's a worry when you got to pay the bills. But I think you start, you know, smaller and and um, gradually get bigger as you grow. And the lower right. you keep your overhead, you know, the better. We're always trying to expand. We got a program later this afternoon. We're doing basketball at a YMCA. We do offsite stuff at high schools. They got a volleyball. Uh, club that we go there and do it. So I'm always looking at doing, um, you know, trying to keep my brick and mortar overhead costs down as much as possible. I almost got bigger with a basketball situation that the finances didn't work out with the other person. But if I'm going to expand, I'm going to, you know, you want to find ways in this economy, which is a little, you know, unpredictable still, to keep your cost fixed costs down and trying to expand where you know you can share you know, uh, costs and whatnot. That's why, as you know, Mike, in this town, there's guys doing stuff in parks and all that now. Right, right. You know, it's low cost. I think when it gets cold in the winter, it's hard to sell to people. I right. think it's always good to have a location, um, you know, home base, all that type of thing. But it's better off. I think Mike Boyle, when I was opening up, who was very, very experienced at this, had talked about keep keeping it small, you know, five, 6,000 square feet. I want to one bay bigger than that a little bit. Uh, larger, but that's always a good rule of thumb because you know it doesn't take that many people to train by yourself to keep that open. And then when you expand, you can add trainers and and do do that. Um, I just right. chose to bite off a big chunk and had some pro guys that were willing to help me out. And and uh, but then you always have other people you got to worry about making sure that you're trying to do a good job for too when you have investors. So right, right. There's definitely right. pros and cons there. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, Mark on top of having the facility and running it and you and your wife are working together. Cause I know we have fitness professionals listening. They are trying to figure all this out too. How do you guys maintain everything with your personal life as well? Raising four kids and find time for family and still fit it in and run a successful training facility at the same time. And how difficult is that? And also like, what are the steps that you guys, like what is the formula that's helped you guys be successful during all those difficulties that may have come up? while having a family and trying to run a business together at the same time? You know, that's tough. I can't say I have that mastered. You know, I mean, it's it's trial and error. We, we you know, Tracy, and she homeschools. I got five kids. She homeschools my three younger ones also. So she works on an appointment basis. We're trying to get her to where her nutrition program is its own separate entity um, outside of PSI that PSI uses, same same product just a different business structure mm-hmm. so she can work more out of the house and and take care of the things um that she needs to take care of with, with my kids which are the number one priority um I'm, I'm used to grinding it out as a strength coach so i don't mind you know working you know you, you read the emf and all that stuff you, right. you know you teach you how not to to do that i can't say that i've always been successful not working a lot of hours um but it's more you know, just trying to um, to plan and, and make sure that um, that you're ahead of the game. I think a lot of times it's, you know, uh, it's the other people that kind of throw the wrench in your plan. And then, you know, your customer service base, so you got to make sure the customer is happy. But that makes it difficult. You know, I, I think, um, you know, whenever you, uh, you know, you're, you have uh, your husband or wife you're working with where it's 24-7, then business always comes up in conversation and things like that. <laughs> right. Got to step away sometimes, you know. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. it's good not to, you know, um, to uh, discuss it. But um, you know, it's it's a trial and error. It's not easy. I don't have a I don't have a set formula. All I know is, you know, for her department, her area, she's put so much time and effort in to get into where it is. I just, you know, I try not to to basically step on her toes on what she wants to do because that's her baby, you know, she's, right. she's the expert in that area. And she kind of refers to me as the expert in the training area. And I think it works best that way where you just kind of, you know, um, to handle it that way, everybody's got their separate area they handle and you don't try and, you know, if I get mixed up with the nutrition, I usually screw something up for her. So I try not to. <laughs> right. Now you two definitely make a good team. You have, you have a, like you said, you guys have a, a very unique offering and, and by far the best training center here in town and, if not the whole country. So just one final question for you. I know that Ed, Eddie Cohn is a good friend of yours, and he's a powerlifting legend. I'm, I'm curious how much of his training philosophy has influenced maybe the way you train yourself as well as 
the PSI philosophy, your training center philosophy. You know, I have the unique opportunity. That's a good friend of mine, Al Lockett. You know, he helped yeah. me get in strength and conditioning, helped me get in a strong man. He's done a lot for me. I, I you know, I trained with him for a few years, um, and then I had a, a unique opportunity to train with Dan Austin. Two totally different types of training. Ed's methodically slow. Uh, you right. have to go come off the front counter while he's reading the paper to do his sets. And Dan, <laughs> Dan Austin is extremely fast, so I kind of adapted, you know, uh, both methodologies, you know, I think, um, you know, when you're getting, when you're lifting heavy weights and you're trying to get stronger, you got to slow things down, take your rest, um, not overtrain. And a lot of times with the volume and assistance type work, I kick in the turbo a little more like Dan would and try and, uh, you know, add the uh, conditioning element to it, you know. So it's a blend of both. Ed's, Ed's you know, the mindset you know, he, he's been through a lot. I tried to steal a lot of his stuff on how he approached things. Um, it was very unique. Um, you know, he did some crazy, crazy, you know, weights when we were training. You just shake your head at. But, um, you know, just try and utilize those, the, the concepts of the mental part of training and, you know, the the idea that, hey, if you want to get stronger, you got to lift weights. A lot of athletes don't. They want to, you know, do all the fancy balancing on a stability ball, a lot of stuff. Hey, I like a lot of that, but you want to get stronger, we got to do some work. If you want to run fast, we got to run fast. You can't run slow and get fast, you know. So right. it comes down to the intensity and the effort and not wasting reps. Ed was a big guy on not wasting reps. Never do a bad rep because you teach your body a poor movement pattern then. Um, right. So concepts like that that I took away from that 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 you just trying to expand on um, as you go through your career. You know, you just you just you know I've had like you said sometimes you don't realize the people you've been around, and I've been uh, fortunate to be around some good lifters and and uh, had some good experiences and tried to utilize you know the more the mental part of training and have it help my athletes on. There's not too much they're going to do when they're training that I haven't been through before, and I can probably tell you what they're thinking before they do um, right. and, and try and utilize that, you know. So at least as, part, as far as the training element goes, you know. I've cheated every way they're supposed to cheat. And, <laughs> you know, so I can usually tell them, you know, hey, been there, don't do that, you know. So can learn by your mistakes. <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes, and hopefully I've learned by them. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, actually, one final question. You know, your son is a, is has is grown into a stellar athlete now, and I, I believe he's in college now. How 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 amenable was he to the training system that you designed for him? You know, having grown up in this whole environment, because I'm curious whether maybe he took it for granted just having uh, because Tracy's a good athlete as well, so he has two great athletes for parents. So you know, mom's a nutrition expert, dad's a strength training expert all these athletes around the world come to work with you. It was, was he very receptive to the training advice you gave him or were there times where he's like, yeah, come on, dad. I don't, I don't want to hear that. You know, he's been, he, he's made himself into a, he plays football at UNLV. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, mm-hmm. He's pound for pound, the strongest guy they got on the team. He plays, what is nice. safety? He a linebacker. Um, but he made himself into an athlete and with athletics and football speeds, everything, he wasn't extremely fast between his freshman and his junior year in high school, really pounded the speed work at him, got himself up to where he's, you know, was, uh, at a level where he could play college football speed-wise. I think, you know, last year, uh, his freshman year, he was benching 400 at 200 pounds on nice. the football team. You know, he's um, squat and clean are very high. Um, so he's been very receptive. Basically, he's the type of kid you got to kick out of the weight room. Like he's, it's a release for him even when he's not training football so when other kids are off right. you know he's training on Sundays or you know yesterday that they got a bye week this week he's in here training um doing extra work so he likes the the whole part of football he likes the training as much as the playing and he's a student of the game uh, very intelligent so he's kind of like you know what we point to on you know athletes are made there's some phenoms out there not too many are walking around that are just born that that you know you know um that will become great just by, you know, there's not genetically, you just don't be an athlete. You know, you got to work at it. Even Tiger Woods worked at it. Michael Jordan right. worked at it. Um, right. They're at a different level. But given the fact that you got decent athletic ability, um, 
kids and young adults can make themselves into an athlete. It may not be Division One, maybe it's Division Two, but it's all about maybe getting your school paid for through athletics. So um, by hard work and good planning, um, you can do that. And he he obviously has, and um, you know he's 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 put in the work and he's reaping the benefits now. Yeah, so that must be really gratifying to see because I remember. I remember he would be working out there too when I was there, and he was very strong then as well. But I mean, I remember there was a certain period where Dale Hart, a friend of mine, he trained with you, of course, and Sincere knows him. I remember I think we saw him at Trader Joe's one time. We we're like, "Whoa, is that Mark's son?" Like he all of a sudden, like he hit that growth spurt where all the hard work hit, just dialed in, and it's like it's like he went from being a boy to a man in that period. You know, and it's uh, I'm not surprised to hear about his, his strength and conditioning now. I remember, I remember where he was at a few years ago. It's pretty cool. Uh, Mark, let's see. We're going to go ahead and plug your website, Philippi Sports Institute. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-P-I, so two P's, one L, sportsinstitute.com. That's all one word. If I always recommend that anytime someone comes to visit Vegas and they want to check out training centers, definitely check out Mark's gym. Get a private lesson with him. Get a consult with Tracy. You're, you're not going to be disappointed that you did. That's the number one training center to go take a look at when you come in town. And is, is there any events coming up, Mark, or anything you have special that you'd like to plug? You know, not, you know we're just kind of getting into our baseball time period here now. Um, you know, if somebody needs some help, just shoot me an email through the website. If they want to stop in, be more than happy to, to show them around if they want to, uh, you, like you said, do a consult with Tracy or want me to beat them up a little bit for a day. Um, <laughs> We'll, we'll we'll do that. So feel free to do that while you're in town. And uh, appreciate you guys having me on the show. It's been fun. Enjoy talking strength with uh, two very knowledgeable guys that I respect. So um, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Real pleasure. And yeah, I'd love to have you back again soon. And and uh, also let me know what your schedule is like. Maybe this week or next. I'd love to stop by and just catch up. Sure, sure. I'll shoot you an email. We'll stop by. Maybe next week we'll. Uh, okay. You know, Sounds yeah, sounds great. Sounds good. Thanks again, Mark. You Mark, really appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. And that's again, Mark Bellapy, awesome strength coach. I mean, anyone who just listened to this episode, you realize real fast that you know, this is a guy operating on a very high level. You realize that real fast. And you go there, you see that real fast. Yeah. So definitely check out philippysportsinstitute.com. You know, Mark also has some interesting nutrition supplements. A lot of people were asking us about uh, power shots. You know, when's that coming back? And, you know, that's one of the things I'll be talking about with Mark next week just because there were some issues he had with the manufacturer, and, and that's what stopped, stopped the whole production process. So with now that I'm in the supplement business and I have quite a few contacts, I'm going to try to you know, act as a conduit for Mark so he can get that product going again. And, and once once that happens, I'll have it back on my website with the yeah, quickness. Definitely. It, was a, it was a great product, man. Awesome and stuff. I remember maybe it was not last year, but the year before when I competed at the, um, the IKFF Nationals, Donica Serena, who was Master of Sport International class in, in Kettlebell Sport, I mean, she and I had our power shot. Pretty much she brought some to the competition. And once people found out that Donica had power shot on her, she was, it was like she was a cocaine dealer, man. <laughs> like, hey, you, you got any more power shot, Donica? You got any more? <laughs> and she was just like, oh, I'm almost out. But she was pretty much trying to save it for herself and myself. <laughs> so, but when I tell you, dude, just, just having that before I even stepped on the platform about 30 minutes, probably about 30 minutes to an hour later, really made a difference and it really helped me through a lot of my workouts as well leading up and leading up to that it was a great product and like i said i have people to this day that know how much i love the product and i believe i had a review of it on my blog from a while back when i got it from you from your website yeah and so people keep you know they'll email me and they're like dude what's up with power shots and say i can't find power shot anymore i, 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 I get my site it's not on time. there i go to yeah you know, <laughs> so they're I looking get, yeah. up and no one can find anything i'm like I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I still have the info page. It's just not live because what was happening is I had the info page up, and then at the very bottom it would say out of stock, and I would right. get these emails daily going, when's it going to be back in stock? That stuff sounds awesome. Or people who had bought it previously going, man, I, I just ran out. You know, when's it coming back? And I, I, I want to know the answer to that more than they do because, <laughs> I, again, this is a product I used for a while that I really liked. And then I just said, hey, Mark, this is awesome stuff. I want to start selling this on my website. And, and that's how that whole thing started. 
what I like about Mark is, as you can tell just from listening to him on the podcast, high, infallible integrity and sets a high, very high standard. And it wasn't any different with the pre-workout supplement. There were no caffeine, no stimulants, nothing. None of that garbage in there to give you this false energy, right? So it was, it was subtle. Like you would take a couple of tables or you would take two scoops or so, and you wouldn't really feel anything different, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, wow, I've got so much energy. But once you started working out, you're like, whoa, something's different here. Exactly. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I didn't really feel like pushing it hard today. Now I'm going to throw in a couple extra sets or I'm going to get a few more reps. And then you would get this nice pump as well. And some people are like, well, I don't care about the pump. Well, I don't really care about the pump either, but it's nice when it has to. Okay, you know why? Because it's a miserable you, result right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. well, you, when, because when you, look, when, when you look in the mirror and you see veins <laughs> popping out of your biceps, your triceps are bigger, your shoulders popping out, don't even tell me that you don't like that, okay? <laughs> Mr. Functional people. Yeah, exactly. People, people are like, I don't care what I look like. I just want to be this. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Okay. You know, physical, physique composition is not, the, it's not number one on my list when I design workouts for myself. But it's definitely a factor. You know, I, I want to look the part. I don't want to walk into a workshop and people are like, "Oh, that's him." You know, I, I didn't realize he was. I didn't realize he was a fat fuck, or I didn't realize. You know, I want. I want to walk in and you know, you you exude some confidence there. So uh, it's a nice little extra benefit. I think uh, strength coach Jay Schroeder mentioned that. Yeah, he had his athletes doing barbell curls, and people are like, "Why? Why are you wasting time with them doing curls and and uh, some tricep work?" He's like, "Well, look." If, if they feel better about the way they look, they're going to perform better. Right. So, I mean, we don't, we don't want to take this, this quote-unquote functional training so far that we forget simple things like that. You know, I'm not saying go out there and, and do uh, two hours of arms training, but I've, I've thrown in a little bit of uh, – I take these fat reps, and I do a little extra curling work because it, it's great for the grip. You know, you're, the stronger your biceps are, the less likely they are to tear when you're doing deadlifts. You know, so there's a functional aspect. And, you know, aesthetically, it's a nice little benefit too. So let's – Let's not just get carried away where we don't actually think. And I think that's a problem in our industry quite a bit is people like I'll say something or you say something and then someone's like, okay, I'm just going to do that. It's like, no, think about why you should do that as well. Right. And then put your own touch on it too. You know, because that's what we both do, right? We get it. We get information. We put our own little touch on it, modify it to our needs or our clients needs and, and go from there. And that's going to wrap up it. And with that rant, we're all wrapped up. <laughs> 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 All right, one last reminder, folks, make sure you hop by Mike's website or my website, MikeMuller.com or NewWarriorTraining.com. Type in the coupon code LLA. On my website, you get 30% off my digital download or physical copy of my body weight training DVD. And you'll get 10% off of Mike's supplements on his website when you use the coupon code LLA. And the cool thing is Mike has now hooked it up. Dude's put together this bundle packs now on his website, and I'm, I'm excited about that, man. Before we leave, just kind of – Tell everybody about the bundle pack. Yeah, I've got, I've got bundle packs where, like, for example, you can get one bottle, bottle of my testosterone booster, one bottle of Restorezyme, and then one bottle of the recovery oil in a bundle. And then, and then it goes incrementally. So you can get two of each in a bundle, three of each in a bundle. When you get three of each in a bundle, I mean, the price goes down significantly as well as free shipping. So I mean, each, each of those bundle deals is better than it would be if you just bought each one alone for international as well, and you can get an additional 10% off on the bundles or the or an individual bottle just by using coupon code LLA when you check out. And some of you are going to laugh at some of the bundles pictures because I, I literally just took a bottle of each and I just put it on the hood of my car. And I, I, I saw them, that. I was like, <laughs> I, I tried taking photos in the house. The lighting wasn't any good, right? So I was like, no one's going to, this looks like crap. So I was, I was like, like talk about get, branding. branding. You know, Let me put my right like, models on my red truck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it looks kind of good here. You know, I got a little tree <laughs> in the background on top of the truck. And, uh, you know, because it all goes back to like, not not wasting time with the bottom line. Like what Mark talked about is like, yeah, I, I could I could hire a, a professional photo crew to take photos of my supplements, but you know that's not really a priority right now. I'd rather make really good products and put out high quality and good service. So that's that's the way that goes. And then it, it kind of lets you know, you know what? This is a real guy with real products, right? right. Instead of all these fancy photo shoots and all that. At least that's the way I rationalize it. So anyway, folks, LLA, 10% off my stuff, 30% off Sincere's video. And also, one last thing, we've got a very exciting guest coming on next week. We've got Roger Cross, actor who is well-known for playing the role of Curtis in 24. He's on two hit shows now, Continuum on the Sci-Fi Channel and Arrow on the WB. 
which are actually both really good shows. You can check out Continuum on Netflix, the first two seasons, and you can check out season one of Arrow as well. And uh, Manu Bennett, who played Crixus in Spartacus, is also in Arrow. So that, that's pretty cool stuff. Awesome. So anyway, we're going to have him on next week to talk about the trials and tribulations of being an actor. He's also 47. He looks great, and he he's obviously right. takes care of himself fitness-wise, so we'll talk to him about that as well. So exciting stuff in the pipeline, folks. You, you're going to love it. It's actually an exciting month of guests, man. We have some more yeah. guests, too, as well. And it's going to be a great month. So we're giving you a yeah. lot in this month of Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes, exactly. We got John Hines coming on too. We got Tim Larkin coming on talking about self defense. That's all this month. You know, that's all November. Yep. And then we've got a, an exciting December coming on. So we, we want to give you as much momentum as possible so that you finish off this year strong and then you know you go into two thousand fourteen ready to crush. So keep those reviews coming, folks, and make sure you hit us up with those reviews. Let us know that you did it and we're gonna hook you up with a thank you gift. Uh, Mike has an eight-hour lecture series on hormone optimization that he's going to give to you guys. I have a digital copy of the Wellness Code book, which I'm a co-author of, um, along with John Spencer Ellis, who's also a guest on our show, and other wellness and fitness experts. Whenever you submit a review on iTunes or Stitcher, just let us know and just email us. And you can actually email us at mike at llapodcast.com or sincere at llapodcast.com. We've got show emails now that means we've hit the big time folks we actually We're have email accounts yeah we have legit, we have email accounts we have email <laughs> accounts links to the show now that's like the boom come and mark this on the calendar when we got the day we got our own email account and yeah and i, I think in john spencer ellis's chapter he'll talk about uh the benefits of wearing makeup when you do a photo shoot and you can you can sh- <laughs> you can you can shoot him an email <laughs> you can you can sh- <laughs> i had to throw that in there you can shoot him an email uh, about that. That's an inside story that I'll save for another podcast. It, it's a funny oh, one. I'm, I'm not ripping on John too much. He's a cool guy, but it, it's just it's a funny story. And so then also, I think you brought that up during his. No, during I did. His, I did. I brought, yeah, exactly. I, I don't. Well, I don't like make fun of, behind his back. You said no, that. no, exactly. If I'm going to make fun of someone, it's going to be when they're when they're on the show. You know, not when they're you know, not on the show. No doubt about that. And then, uh, yeah, with the, with the eight-hour lecture series, you know, that's for folks where you, you're just not hearing my voice enough. You know, maybe the podcast is not enough, and, and you need eight more hours of hearing my voice to get you motivated. So there you go. You know? <laughs> and that's it. Folks. So have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you and everyone on the next show. Thank you.